I had to take a few seconds over here because my shoes got wet and I needed to wipe them off before I got up here because I was told I'm the one who hops around on stage and I didn't want to fall as I was hopping around. And all that is just a segue into, can we just celebrate that we had 15 baptisms across campus in all four services today? People committing their children to Christ and people making their decisions to follow Christ and they are placed in the community of faith and how very fitting because right after Jesus' baptism, he was ushered into the wilderness. So it kind of fits, you see? Well, good morning. I didn't forget that part 1045. I wanted to hear you. It's nice to see you. Glad you're here. My name is Chad Myers. I'm our adult discipleship director. Welcome to those of you joining us online, wherever you may be, uh, North Carolina, Michigan, Wisconsin, Tennessee, Texas, Brazil, and Canada, to name a few of people who have told us they're joining us. Glad you are tuning in. We pray God's blessings on you. Now, normally I'd shout out to Missouri because my family lives in Missouri, but guess what? Our kids' spring break is this week. So Friday, we loaded up the minivan, and we sojourned here to Lexington. So they came to the 9 o'clock service, and uh, they are waiting for me to get out after this one to hang out and have some lunch together. It's great to have them in person with me. It's great to have you here today. As we are continuing this series on wisdom in the wilderness, what is the wilderness, and why do we need wisdom for it? The wilderness is the space between. The wilderness is you have left the place where you were, but you are not yet at the place you are going to be. You are in the middle. And because you're in the middle, you often feel confused. You often feel vulnerable. You often feel like you don't know. The wilderness is often the experience of the absence of God. Not the reality, but the experience. It seems like, oh, sometimes God just took his hand off me. Like, where are you? I feel like I'm in a wilderness. A lot of things put us in a wilderness. It's, it's this, I've left the room, I'm at the threshold of the door, and I'm not quite in the other room yet. Some people call this liminal space. Several Native American tribes called it crazy space because in this space, we often can feel like we're going crazy. Anyone relate? to being in the wilderness. Some things put us in the wilderness. If you're a teenager and you get grounded from your phone or your technological device, you're in the wilderness, right? If you're waiting on that next Netflix series, like Outer Banks 3, when's that thing coming out? You're in the wilderness. But there's other realities that put us in the wilderness also. Maybe a devastating fight with a loved one. Maybe we're in grief because we've lost a loved one and all we can hear and feel is the shriek of our own pain. Maybe we've got to make some big decisions with our business or our life or our family and we feel like we're in the middle of a spiritual wilderness. The wilderness often makes us feel vulnerable and the wilderness, it's important to know why we got there. This is what Stalin and Pastor Trevor did such a great job of last week. It's important to know why we got in the wilderness because the response you need in the wilderness is determined by the reason you're in the wilderness. So if it's our own doing, 
If it's like my own stubbornness and my own selfishness that puts me in the wilderness and it's this cycle that I keep coming back to over and over again, and I'm like, man, why am I in the spot again? Maybe I need to learn the lesson of repentance and obedience, and I can get out of the wilderness as soon as I learn that lesson. Maybe it's circumstantial, things outside of your control, things that have happened to you and they put you in the wilderness. Oftentimes, those are the places where God is preparing you for what's next. God is preparing you for what's next. And you don't quite know how long, but your call is to do the hard work of preparation. Say, all right, God, you may be giving me more responsibility. You may be giving me something in the future. I've got to get ready for it. Help me know what that is. Or maybe, just maybe, you're in the wilderness, not because you've done something wrong, but because you've done something right. You've been faithfully pushing hard after God. You've been pressing hard after God and you want to up your game and you've been trying to go deeper and God is saying, okay, I'm going to reward you, but you have to go into the wilderness. And there we learn trust and depth. Jesus goes into the wilderness and today I'm going to be talking about the battle he faced in the wilderness. I'm going to be talking about spiritual warfare and the existence of Satan or some call him the Satan or the devil. And we're going to look at just a little bit because the next three weeks following, uh, they go on the specific temptations of the devil to Jesus. But today it's going to be like a kaleidoscope. Like I'm going to look, we're going to look through this small hole, one really small concept, and then kind of open it up, hopefully give it some color and hopefully give it some practical meaning into our lives because what Whether we believe in a literal physical or literal personal existence of the devil, we all feel a battle. One famous author said, the world is enemy-occupied territory. And if the world is enemy-occupied territory, then life is what? Life's a battle. So I'm going to read a few different passages and it's, called, it's from three different Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. It's the same story, but it's the, the each author's take on it. This is called the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. What I would, I would like for you to do is, if you are willing and able, would you please stand for the reading of God's Word? Wherever you are online, feel free to stand up as well, even if you're at a coffee shop. But if you're driving, feel free to remain seated and drive safe. This is Matthew 4, 1 through 2, and several passages following. And Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. Mark 1, 12 through 13 puts it like this. At once, this is after his baptism, at once the Spirit sent him. Uh, the Greek word here is ekbalo. It's a very forceful word. Thrust him out into the wilderness. Also used of Jesus casting out demons, that kind of force. Send him out into the wilderness. And he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals and angels attended him. And then Luke 4, 13 adds a little flavor at the very end of this. And it says this, when the devil had finished all this tempting Like a good Captain Jack Sparrow, he left him until an opportune time. Until an opportune time. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I invite you to be seated. Uh, I didn't invite the people online to be seated last service, so I don't know if anyone stood up the whole time, but you can be seated as well. You're like, is he going to seat me? I did. I had a friend do a wedding once, and you know, everybody stands up for the bride coming in. He did like almost the whole wedding and didn't seat anybody. They just all stood up for the whole wedding. I was like, this is where you're supposed to seat people, so you guys can be seated. Any stragglers? No. Okay, good. Jesus is sent out into the wilderness, and there he doesn't seek the devil. 
He's not going after the devil, but there the devil tempts him. It's there the devil meets him. This is a recapitulation of the Old Testament story of the Israelites who were rescued by God out of Egypt, and they were meant to go into the promised land where they could become a people who would ultimately bring about universal blessing. That's what they were supposed to do. It was only about 11 to a 14-day trip into the promised land, but they spy it out. There's too big a people there. Their, their, their cities are too fortified. Their armies are too powerful. And they say, no, God, we're not going to do it. And so they wander in the wilderness for 40 years. Israel was called the son of God, the son that God has. God says to them, you are my son. Jesus is the son of God. And he is living out this story again so that he can be a faithful son, the faithful one, so that he might secure the position to give universal blessing to all people. That's why he goes into the wilderness. And in the wilderness, all three accounts, he was tempted by the devil. Now, I used to think that, you know, at the end of the 40 days, Jesus was tempted. For whatever reason, I thought that because, you know, then Satan comes to him, it said, and then he gives him these three temptations or whatever. But these, transla these translations seem to imply that maybe the temptation was ongoing in the wilderness. Maybe it was all of the 40 days. Maybe it was occasional. He came to him several days and then he retreated. And then he came several days more. But whatever is going on, Jesus is battling an evil force. I have a lot of things to kind of throw your way today. I'm going to stuff you like an ox, okay? But here's what I consider success. If you walk away today and say something like this, well, I wonder where a battle is occurring in my life. God, help me have wisdom for that. I'll consider this a success. A lot of people have different views of Satan or the devil of spiritual warfare and what it is, what the devil is up to, and how do we fight. Some Christians don't believe at all in a personal Satan, in a, in a literal Satan. They think that uh, evil and uh, spiritual warfare is in the political realm. And it is about political systems that oppress people and that keep people down and keep people marginalized and that keep people from getting the fullness of life that they were meant to. Some people think that spiritual warfare takes place in the mind, that the battlefield is your mind and Satan can inject thoughts into your mind and you've got to battle his lies with the truth and you've got to fight the, the war of the mind. Some people think it's demon possession. And so... Basically, spiritual warfare is only for those who are demon-possessed or only those who are really, really oppressed or assaulted. And, oh, that's spiritual warfare. Some people think the devil is behind every bad mood. Maybe none of these are wholly true, but all of them are somewhat true. And I would say if you don't believe in any type of Satan at all, I ask you this question. Do you feel a battle in your heart? Do you feel a battle in your heart for the things that you want to do but can't seem to do or the things that you don't want to do and you keep on doing? Perhaps it's spiritual warfare. John Piper said this, life is war. It's not only that, but it's always that. 
You know what part of this baptism was? It's beautiful. It's a sacrament. I love every single part of it. Infants, adults, it's wonderful. It places people in the community of faith. They're meant to own the covenant of grace on their own terms, but it places them in this covenantal community. It is a covenantal grace. I love it. And yet it is also marching orders into a battle. You now have an opponent. You now, the devil don't like you. You now have someone who is aiming arrows at your heart. And you need to be prepared for the battle. Live long enough and you know life is war. Some of you, for Lent, you're, you're, at, you're wondering like, well, how is this the Lenten series? Like wilderness and Lent. Like some of you for Lent have given things up. Maybe you've, you've fa you're fasting for a certain amount of time or you're fasting a certain amount of time during a day or you're giving up caffeine or you're giving up movies or you're giving up chocolate right and you know you know the temptation you feel it you're like man 30 some odd days till I can eat chocolate again that's why I don't give up chocolate for Lent I eat it every day faithfully but you know there's a battle oh I want to do this I want to get serious about this I want to to grow deeper spiritually, and then you start to experience the battle. The reality is this. When you turn up your heart for God, the devil turns the heat up on you every single time. We don't naturally drift towards Jesus. It's not in the human condition. We don't naturally drift towards growth. We don't naturally drift towards doing the hard things. So we have to paddle upstream. And when we turn to paddle upstream, A, we're going upstream, and we're going to meet opposition. So perhaps the question for us today is, if we're not meeting any opposition, are we paddling the right way? And one of the things we need to know is because there is warfare in the wilderness, we need wisdom for the battle. Now, you may not be in a wilderness right now, but you will be at some point in time. And you'll need some wisdom for the battle. And I believe these principles kind of transcend if you're in a wilderness or not. I believe they will be helpful for us. So I just want to go through briefly four pieces of wisdom for the battle. And the first one is this. Know your enemy. Know your enemy. Deion Sanders um, is known as one of the great cornerbacks of professional football. And he was interviewed recently um, about part of his strategy for facing his opponents, and he said this, and this is common for a lot of people, not just him, but he said this, I study my opponent. I study their tendencies. I study what they do. I watch film on them. I write it down. I memorize it. I know by game time what, how this receiver run routes, runs routes, but I don't just watch that person. I observe the coach. I watch the coaching staff. I take notes on the coaching staff. But I don't just observe the coaching staff. If it's a West Coast offense, I observe and study what a West Coast offense tends to do. So I'm going to watch the opponent. I'm going to watch the coaches. I'm going to watch tape on the West Coast offense. I am going to know what they do. I'm going to know my enemy so that when they step on the field, I am fully versed in who they are and what they're trying to do. Do we know our enemy and what he's up to? Because I guarantee you, he's watched tape on us. He's watched tape on us. The devil's an ancient being. He has demons, as the Bible talks about. They have memory. They've been around for a long time. The battlefield is the heart of humankind. 
You start to feel this as you continue to age. Get married, you feel spiritual warfare. Have kids, you feel spiritual warfare. Dream out loud, be yourself out loud, you're gonna experience spiritual warfare. Try to do things God's way. Try to do things the hard way. Spiritual warfare. The devil wants to derail you. He wants to destroy you, to entice you, to do things that look like it's a good idea, but in the end only lead to more pain. So what is, how does the devil accomplish these things? He's your enemy. Well, he's a tempter. He's a tempter. Here's how I'd like to define temptation. It's the offer of something that will soothe the pain, but it only compounds it. The trouble we run into with temptation is most of us are looking for some type of pain soother, an anesthetic. And we're, we're, we're looking for something to help us with that. And the devil's temptation is, you've often heard it said, it's, it's the bait, but it hides the hook. Like it looks and it feels good for a moment and it soothes the pain for a second, but actually in the end, it compounds it. It may be minutes, it may be hours, it may be months, it may be years. But in the end, it compounds it and we experience more pain. He's a tempter. He's also a deceiver. He's a deceiver. Look at John 8, 44. Jesus says this to the religious leaders. You belong to your father, the devil. I have, to, I have to sit back and laugh sometimes at Jesus' conversations with other people. Like before yo mama jokes, there was a yo daddy joke. He's like, yo daddy is the devil. <laughs> had to feel good. He says, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth for there is no truth in him. When he lies... That's the language he grew up on. He speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Sometimes he tells outright lies. Sometimes he tells half-truths. Well, that's partially true, but it's not all the way true. It hasn't gone far enough. He wants to deceive us. Also, he wants to accuse us. He's known as the accuser. In Revelation chapter 12 and in the book of Zechariah, the devil is known as the accuser. And this is a very tormenting aspect of Satan's fiery darts because he loves to entice you to sin. And then when you do sin and you fall flat on your face, he's going to be the one standing over you, accusing you, pointing that finger. Oh, I knew, I knew you couldn't follow God. I knew you were that kind of Christian. Are you really eating? Do you even have the spirit of God inside you and see all of this finger wagging and all of these accusations and they keep us living small? You know what accusations do? They cause shame. Accusations cause shame. And some people, you've been listening to accusations and you thought it was Holy Spirit conviction, but the two couldn't be further apart. God never accuses us. You say, well, what's the difference? Well, is it leading to life? Is it leading to life? And if not, you need to reject that voice, no matter who it sounds like. Reject that voice of the accuser. Satan is our enemy. I was talking in the sermon team, sermon prep team this week, and I was throwing these ideas out, and Pastor Jeff He's really good at alliteration. He really is, and I love his alliteration. So he was like, oh, Chad, you could do this. You could be like, uh, the devil is the tempter. The devil is the tormentor. And then he said another T word, and I was, I was already tracking with him, and he, he kind of inspired me because I feel like Jeff has an inner rapper. You know what I'm saying? Like, sometimes you just need to, like, if you pushed him a little bit and gave him a handheld microphone, like, I, 
He's got an inner rapper. Well, he, his inner rapper started to inspire my inner rapper when he said that. And I was, I, I was like, grab my pen. And I just started scribbling, scribbling, scribbling. And I was like, oh, okay, know your enemy. It goes a little something like this. He's the tempter, the trickster. More X-rated, less pure flickster. Show you the bait, hide the hookster. Pain entrepreneur, we ate the fruit and it made a sick, sir. He's the deceiver, truth concealer, drug of despair dealer, twisting life into death. He's the anti-healer. He does not cheer us on in our victory. I thought he had a treat. Nah, it was a trick for me. Sing songs when we lose, hits our bruise, shoots us when we're wounded, loves it when we're confused, misused, and abused. I'm here to tell you, don't be scared, but don't be caught unawares. He's not our frenemy. Friends, know your enemy. For you, my friends, for you. I blame Jeff. And I challenge him to a rap battle. So there's that. <laughs> know your enemy, know your tendencies. Know your tendencies. I was doing a personality coaching with some young interns in a church and uh, had them take this test, and then we were kind of walking through it, and we were just kind of observing things, and they were sharing things, and then it was basically like help give them a few growth opportunities in their life, and I had this young one female intern, and uh, her tendency of her personality was to put little bombs of joy on her calendar. You know, some of you do that. You know what I'm talking about? It's like you put landmines of fun on the calendar as a way to escape the daily monotony of anxiety, right? You're like, oh, in six months, we're going to this concert, and that thing, like, gets you through all those six months. Or you like, you put a party on the calendar, a dinner party, and you're like, yeah, that's, that's, that's exciting. That's, we're looking forward to that. She actually told us in a moment of weakness, she said, yeah, I will say yes to two parties that are booked on the same night, because what if the first one gets boring? And her tendency is to try to outrun her anxiety by planning fun in the future. That's not necessarily my tendency. It's not other people's tendencies either, but it was hers. Some experts think that there are upwards of 27 different personality types. And so we all have these different personalities that are really ways of guarding ourselves in the world. They're really ways of how do we cope or maneuver or twist around pain. Or maybe it's the tendency of arrogance. It's this tendency of pride. It's to think that we're never wrong and no one can teach us nothing. Maybe it's the tendency of shutting down and withdrawing. Some people, they have this tendency to push others away and to isolate, to go inside. What are our tendencies? Some people... We use food. Often temptation is around something good that's just twisted. It's around sexuality. It's around food. It's around clothes or stuff or people. Like all of this is good in God's creational order, but the devil takes it and just twists it just a little bit. Just get it outside of God's boundaries just a little bit and use it. Maybe our tendency is to shortcut the process. No, 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 I know how to bypass the wilderness. We can fly over this thing. We can. We don't have to go through the process. Did you know Jesus actually gets all of the things that the devil tempts him with? Right? You're hungry. Turn these stones into bread. Jesus becomes living, living bread. He gives living bread. He says, you know, throw yourself off the temple and nothing will happen to you. The angels will rescue you. Jesus resurrects from the dead. He raises himself. He gets raised from pain. 
And then the last one, bow down and worship me and I will give you all the kingdoms of the world. Jesus resurrects and is ascended as the one who sits on the throne of David and all he inherits all the kingdoms in the world in the first place. So what's the temptation? It's to shortcut the process. Don't go through the process of being the son of God. We can do the same thing. What's your tendency? James 1, 13 through 14 says this. When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. He says, if it's not inside of you, it's not going to work. So we can't say God is tempting me, and we can't pull an old Tom Sawyer, the devil made me do it. If it's sin, and I do it, That's my responsibility. I did it. I have to own that. I may have been tempted, but it wouldn't have worked if it wasn't already inside of me somewhere. That needs to be healed. I would argue that a pandemic is a pretty good wilderness, right? People think maybe we're coming out of it now, but we're not quite there yet. We're in this in-between, and it has been a global stressor, a global stressor, some of the top five most stressful things that people can go through is the death of a loved one, a divorce, moving. We moved twice in the pandemic. That was fun. Uh, A serious illness or injury and a job loss. Many people, if not all, have experienced something like that in the pandemic. Some people have experienced all of those things. And so you look around, you look around the world and it seems like people are really struggling with their stress. Well, we are. We are. And we're doing and saying and acting in ways that just don't make any sense. We have to know our tendencies. Who am I when I'm stressed? I can uh, withdraw. I can isolate, kind of go inside my man cave, try to figure things out. I can also become like hyper micromanager of the house. You know what I'm saying? Like I walk in the house and I'm like, okay, this needs to be done. We need to go here. That needs to happen. And I go into a room and I'm like, clean this, pick this up, hammer your device, pick this and do that. And I start marching, marching orders and everything. And then I go back and I'm like, man, Chad, why are you so crazy? And then I go back in the room like, hey, I'm really sorry about that. You know, no, no. And my kids, they just get rocked by my stressors. You know what I'm saying? Like we were talking the other day and they were like, hey, let's talk about which one of the seven dwarfs you would be. And I was like, well, in my head, I'd be like the smart one, the funny one, like on TV, I'm the taller one and like the handsome one and stuff like that. And without a beat, my oldest two daughters were like, dad, you're grumpy. <laughs> it's true. That's my tendency. And it can harm people that I love. What are your tendencies? Satan comes and he hits the hammer of the key on the piano. He hits the hammer of the key on the piano and he's gonna hit the one until he finds the string of your heart. And then when it resonates with you, he's gonna play it over and over and over again. Even if he has to wait for the opportune time. Know your enemy, know your tendencies, know the times. Know the times. What is the current zeitgeist? What's the feel in the culture? How do we do battle today? Because how the church did battle 50 years ago is not how we do it today. So God wants us to use our noggin and use discernment and say, how, how, what are some of the temptations that we're facing and then the culture is facing and how can we be countercultural people? Know the times. You may remember the story of Justine Sacco. 
She was um, the young woman who had about 172 Twitter followers, and she was getting on a plane. She was about to go to Africa, and she was making some jokes, and some of them weren't too appropriate, and she fired off this one last joke, and it just fell flat, but she turned off her phone, put it on airplane mode, she gets on the plane. She only had 172 followers. It was an inappropriate joke about going to Africa. Well, all of a sudden, someone picks this up, and they retweet it, and they had a lot of followers, and then it gets retweeted, and then it gets retweeted, and then it gets retweeted. And little did she know that the 11 hours that she was on the plane, blissfully flying across to Africa, that her whole life was being destroyed. And she was gonna become one of the most infamous persons on Twitter. She got fired while she was on the plane on Twitter. And she landed and her life was undone. There is a temptation today to locate the problem and the battle of spiritual warfare in image bearers that we see. And the temptation is we need to make this world a better place. But often the way we have gone about doing that is by judging and calling out and shaming and condemning. And I wonder if in our effort to make the world a better place, we've actually made it worse. I think it would do well to remember Nietzsche's words, whoever fights monsters should see to it that in the process he or she does not become a monster. Like begets like. Please remember that. Like begets like. Shame, judgment, condemnation. That only begets shame, judgment, and condemnation. Grace begets grace. Compassion begets compassion. Love begets love. And it's subversive. It's powerful. It's organic. And often we don't see it, so we want a ready handle on this has to change. But the kingdom of God is slow moving. And it's almost imperceptible. How are we to fight today? No the times, Paul says it this way in Ephesians 6, finally be strong in the Lord and his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. The KJV said, the wiles of the devil. Such a good phrase. The devil's wiles. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood. It's not your spouse. It's not the kids. Man, we just had like a two-day road trip. Trust me, I think spiritual warfare is in that van on two days. You know what I'm talking about? Huh. It's not the principal. It's not the boss. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. We have to discern how to fight and where to fight and what to fight and the weapons that we use. What kind of fruit are our weapons bearing? I guess is one way to say it. Lastly, know your enemy, know your tendencies, know the times, and know the triumph. Know the triumph. For some of you, uh, this has been a heavy message. You feel the battle very real, and you feel like you're in the wilderness, and you feel like one wrong step, and you're just gonna blow it. All things are going to get lost. And you're like, I don't even know what to do. And you've been scribbling notes down on those things we call bulletins. And you've been scribbling, scribbling, scribbling. Like, oh, I missed that point. I got to go back. And oh, I got to listen to that again. 
Calm down. Know this. We fight in his strength. We fight from his victory. We ride the coattails of his power. It's not our own wisdom. It's not our own resources. The New Testament was written against the backdrop of the Roman Empire. And when Rome wanted to spread the Pax Romana, the peace of Rome, they would conquer other nations and bring them under subjugation and subdue them. And often what they would do when they would come back into Rome is they would lead a triumphal procession with the head of the generals at the front on their horses, pomp and circumstance, and then the army behind them displaying the power of Rome. Look at the victory of Rome. Look at the power of Rome. And then in the very last piece of the procession, it was those that they had just conquered. Still alive, but humiliated. Being made a spectacle of. Powerless. Because they'd been defeated. Against that backdrop, Paul writes Colossians 2.15. Jesus, in having disarmed the powers and authorities... He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. 1 John says that the Son of God came to destroy the works of the devil, and he dealt a decisive blow through the cross and the resurrection. And he is parading the enemies, the forces of darkness, in the streets and what's his weapon not violence not military force like the disciples expected it to be it's a crucifix it's sacrificial love it's using that power to serve anything that is opposed to the cross is satanic any mindset any idea any momentum or motivation that is opposed to sacrificial love is not of God. So how do you fight? Walk in sacrificial love from the power of the cross. That's how our leader did it. That's how he wants us to do it. Singer Johnny Cash knew the ins and outs of temptation success, failure, God and the devil. And he writes these powerful lyrics in a song he named Redemption. From the hands it came down, from the side it came down, from the feet it came down and ran to the ground. Between heaven and hell a teardrop fell and the deep crimson dew the tree of life grew. And the blood gave life to the branches of the tree and the blood was the price that set captives free. And the numbers that came through the fire and the flood clung to the tree and were redeemed by the blood. From the tree streamed a light that started the fight. Round the tree grew a vine on whose fruit I could dine. My old friend Lucifer came, fought to keep me in chains, but I saw through the tricks of 666. At the place where the blood flowed down, and life blew forth, there was also a battle. And will we see through the tricks of 666? Let's pray. Father, we come before you, a humble people, some of us a hurting people. We come before you, a community 
bound together. And we look to the cross and we thank you for the sacrifice. God, we thank you that you are a God who fights. You don't fight against us, you fight for us. You're a God who's for people, you're for creation. You're a God who extends his love into all four corners of the world, inviting people to your grace. It's a good message because you're a good God. And yet, we live in a wilderness and it's hard and it hurts. And sometimes we choose our own way and we suffer defeat. But we know that you don't scold us. We know that you don't chastise us. We know that you pick us up as a loving Heavenly Father. Clean our wounds. Help us get back in the game. Some of us here today have been so entrenched in shame and deep-seated accusation and self-hatred. We need a miracle. We need a movement of your spirit. Some of us today have been walking in pride for 30, 40, 50 years, and we need you to break our stubborn will. We trust you. If you let us into the wilderness, you'll lead us out of the wilderness. We trust you. Help us know how to fight. Give us your wisdom. We ask in Christ's name, amen.